Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content marketing in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thanks for joining us. As we do each week, we start with the definition, ahead of what's going to be a very interesting and very personal edition of In Transition. But to the definition as it relates to content marketing in government and the public sector. Content marketing is a repeatable, measurable and strategic business process that relies on the creation, curation and distribution of useful, relevant and consistent content. The purpose is to engage and inform a specific audience in order to achieve a desired citizen and or stakeholder action. So to my guest today, just as a bit of background, recently we surveyed our audience and our our newsletter audience, that is. We have around two and a half to 3,000 people on on our news on our newsletter. And we asked them a range of questions, which has been great. So thank you if you were uh, in, uh, a part of that. But also, if you're not involved, if you jump on to www.contentgroup.com.au and sign up, that would be great. But one of the insights that we got from the audience was that they wanted to know a little bit more about us, about Content Group, about the people who are here and the work that they do. And so I thought it would be really interesting to speak to the person who's been here the longest, um, apart from myself, obviously. But in our our company, we have about 14 people um, and quite a number of contractors who work with us as well. But Dave Polglaze is our head of consulting. And Dave recently celebrated his 10th year uh, with Content Group. And this has been his only job. He left university with a Bachelor of History and Political Science from the ANU. And since working with Content Group, he's also been a member of the Australian Olympic team, the the media team as part of the Australian Olympic team, and he's been to three Olympic Games. He's been to Beijing, he's been to Vancouver, he's been to London, and in a couple of weeks' time, he heads off to Brazil for his fourth Olympic Games as part of that media team. But most importantly, as I said, he is our head of consulting, and as I say, he's been here for 10 years, so Dave, uh, happy anniversary. Uh, thanks very much, David, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. What are your best memories or some of your memories of, of the last 10 years of Content Group? Oh, there's uh, obviously quite a few memories to go back over and think about for 10 years. I still remember the first time I walked into your office uh, just over 10 years ago and introduced myself through a, a mutual contact. Uh, I think I might have even offered to work for free at that moment in time to get a, a foot in the door and kindly you said, no, you'd pay me. Uh, that's, a, that's a fond memory that I still hold. Uh, obviously, a lot of things have happened between now and then. Uh, another good memory, I think, would be getting the call up to the first Olympic Games, which came through our work that we were doing with Rowing Australia at the time. But that was quite an exciting thing to do as a, a 23 or 24-year-old and definitely look back with fond memories on that one. And since then, lots of work, obviously, also with clients in the, the content marketing and strategic comms PR space as well. Yeah, we were having a discussion the other day just uh, with some of the other other team members trying to work out how many different clients I might have worked on across that 10 years and uh, we lost count after a while but we've done some some really, really valuable work for, for clients, not just in the public sector but the private sector as well and 
uh, it's changed a lot across the last 10 years and we've seen a real focus on government across the last last two or three or four years. So tell me, what are your memories going back there about the work that Content Group used to do as opposed to the work that Content Group does today and how has technology changed the way that we work? Well, back in 2006 when I started, uh, I think a lot of our focus was on the private sector. We had a, a range of clients uh, including uh, skins compression garments and ITL and we did a lot of work in the PR space. So uh, a lot of strategic commerce still but uh, a real focus on PR. So I'd say probably an 80-20% split in terms of PR compared to strategic comms. Uh, if, you turn, if, you, if you look at it right now, it would probably be uh, probably about 90% content marketing with about 10% remaining in PR. So that's a noticeable change across the last 10 years and I think you have to put it down to technology. I know the story of how Content Group was set up in 1997, which had the purpose of using content to, to tell our clients stories and it was an idea probably uh, 10 years ahead of where technology was at that stage. But... Come about 2008, 2009, we saw how technology was was growing really quickly. It was a lot easier to produce content and share it across multiple platforms. And I think uh, we jumped on that exactly at the right time and we've been able to transform the business uh, in order to help our clients achieve achieve their objectives. In terms of your skills and growing into that and dealing with that transition, um, what have you had to, to change or what have you had to learn to become more effective in this content-based marketing approach? I think you've got to do a lot of reading and research. So I, I, I guess I'm a bit unique in that I didn't do a, a PR degree coming out of university. I think a lot of the people who start at Content Group or traditionally who have started at Content Group uh, did a comms or did a PR or did a marketing degree of some sort. But I, um, I was a bit unique in that I came, I had a love of writing, I had a love of sport, we had a lot of sport clients back then. So I had to do a lot of research at the time and do a lot of listening to try and, uh, to try and learn on the run. And when that's changed, even from PR, looking at, into content marketing now, that's remained the same technique that I've tried to use. So, so reading enough documents, asking enough questions, in order to learn what you need to learn to do a good job. How important is it at, at the beginning of any content marketing program to really dive into that understanding, to try to understand the audience in order that you can communicate with them effectively? It's really critical. So as part of all our projects, we, we set aside a substantial amount of time uh, even, before we've even before we've started on projects to do a thorough research and discovery piece so we can really understand uh, understand our clients' work and what they what they go through every day of the week, the, the key issues that they have, uh, some of the policies that they might work with if they're in government. And if you don't get that firm understanding of, of that piece, you probably can't deliver a good result for your clients. So in terms of that, what, what about the reliance on technology and, and data and analytics to also be able to help you to uncover some of those insights that you need at the very earliest stages of, of any program? Well, I guess that's, that's how our industry's changed a lot over the last two years, but five years, six years as well, in that a, a lot of the a lot of the results uh, were assumptions or a lot of the, the, the research were assumptions in the past, whereas data and te technology now give you some really hard facts into how people like to receive the information that you're putting out, 
how how they interact with your channels and you, you, you don't go in with a sort of a finger in the air approach seeing where the wind's going from. It's uh it's more of a statistically fact based approach in order to um to work out how people are engaging. We'll get into the content groups methodology and how you actually apply that methodology to achieve the outcomes for um, the clients. But what what do you enjoy most about what you're doing at the moment? Uh, there's probably probably two main things. I enjoy the team that we have at Content Group. So if you work with a, a group of people who are just as passionate about a particular profession as you are, then I think you can re- achieve really good outcomes if you have the opportunity to speak to, to speak to them on a regular basis, uh, do things away from the workplace with them as well. You, you form a good bond which allows you to achieve better things as a team. Um, I'm also, also quite excited by the fact that our profession changes on, on a daily basis. So uh, 2015, I think at the start of 2015, start of 2014 as well, everyone in our team predicted what would be uh, what would be booming by the end of the year, and no one got it right. You can, you can never really predict what's going to happen uh, two months down the track, let alone one month down the track in our in our profession. And that's that keeps you on your toes and means that you need to be constantly on the ball to uh, to be at the top of your game. And how do you cope with that? That that perpetual change, the fact that we know that whatever we're doing today is not going to be effective tomorrow, or perhaps less effective tomorrow. I think you just cope from it from the fact that. You need to you follow the same methodology throughout, but you just have to be aware that things aren't always going to be the same, uh, and 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 deal with it. In that, you've got the chance to pioneer as part of a profession to to achieve a good result for your clients. So, how have you seen this change from PR, strategic communications, to to content marketing, and how in fact do they do they work together, or do you see that PR is now just a part? Of a, of a broader content marketing program? I think it's just as simple as that. PR, PR is one way of getting a message through to uh, a particular audience. And if you look at content marketing with the broad umbrella, it's one of maybe 15, 20, 30 different tactics that you can use to, to achieve the outcomes that you're looking to achieve. So what about the, the methodology that we now work with here that we've developed over time? What are your observations of that methodology? got to be aware that you can change it <laughs> on a regular basis, um, uh, sometimes a weekly I basis. I think that's a dig at me. <laughs> <laughs> Never do that. But, uh, um, I think you've got, to, you've, you've got to move with the times. We've got a, a very set framework that involves involves 10 steps, but the, the questions that you ask as part of that methodology in order to achieve the results out of each of those steps changes on a regular basis so that you're asking the right questions in order to get the insights out of clients to produce a strategy at the end of that process which which will be then implementable and achieve results for the client. You mentioned asking questions. How important do you believe asking questions is to successful content marketing? It's pivotal because we're, we're content marketing specialists but we're not specialists in the business that we're doing for our clients. So if, if we go into a particular department, there's a range of specialists working within that department who hold all the insights from that particular project that we need to get out of their heads in order to give them a communications product which will ultimately be successful. So without asking questions and, and a whole range of questions, uh, you're not going to be, a, be able to deliver a good outcome. And that's why our process, which 
which ask anywhere between probably 80 or, or 120 questions throughout a workshop, workshop stage is really important. What's your views on the current state of communications in government? Because, and probably the reason I asked that is I've just come from a, this morning just sitting at my desk doing some work and it's, I'm really frustrated. <laughs> I'm really frustrated because... Is that why I haven't been talking? Well, I've just had my head, I have, I've had my head buried in this thing and it's, it's, I don't think there's due respect and people who listen to this podcast know that I don't believe that as communicators we have the right level of respect um, about the importance of communication, particularly given that now technology has changed you know, the way the world communicates and we can now get our message to people, you know, that the distribution problem's been solved, but there's still not that fundamental respect about, you know, setting objectives, setting measurable objectives, understanding your audiences, putting things in place that will help you to get the outcome. You know, there's just... This, these papers were just one motherhood statement after another, after another, after another, and you could see that someone's just cut and pasted something and put it in there, and now we're expected to try to bring that to life where it's almost like, well, hang on, no, we've got to go all the way back to the beginning, which I suppose is the benefit of having this structured approach to putting our programs together. The methodology helps us to unpick and, and, and um, put together the program so, as you say, we can develop something that will actually get an outcome. But leaving that rant to one side, just your, your sense about whether or not, do you, do you agree with me that it's probably not respected as much as it needs to be? I think it probably, going back to the first part of the question, I think it's more uh, the, the pressures and the time pressures that sometimes yeah, uh, people within the public sector uh, government are put under and it, it's something that I've learnt from being able to work across a, a couple of departments <coughs> across the last five years where I've been embedded into a team and it, it's great to go in at the start of the day and uh, have a strategic direction to your day, but sitting over to one side is always the minister's office. And the minister's office, uh, obviously we're trying to serve the minister's office as part of a, as part of a government, whether it be uh, federal or state. And at the drop of the hat, a whole day can be derailed by something that's going on in the media, an event that needs to be organised. And I think the time pressures that that creates and the stress pressures within a, a, a government department can often lead to, to rushed decisions being made with, with other projects. But don't you think that a content marketing approach sort of is a, is a hack against that in that it puts a program in place that can be delivered no matter how sort of chaotic things are going around that you can actually still day after day or perhaps even week after week produce that content to be useful, relevant and consistent in the places where the audience are so that they're still getting um, the outcome that you're looking for in terms of that, that content. Um, and it's really a, it's a hack sort of looking at getting the dealing with the significant as opposed to the urgent. I think that's obviously a very important point in what we're trying to do for government departments. But I think we're in a, a transition between the old and the new currently where everything still does get dropped for the minister and we just need a couple of uh, a couple of more success stories to show how the content marketing program can work in order for ministers to then say yep that's a process that is working and maybe uh, maybe I'll take my foot off the pedal a bit there okay if you were sitting down with a group of ministerial advisors the ones who make the phone calls that create the havoc um, 
how would you convince them that maybe they need to think a little bit more strategically and be less beholden to, you know, the latest issue that's jumped up on the radio or, you know, is in the, the mainstream media that perhaps people aren't really looking at as much as they used to? I'd probably remind them that uh, an election cycle is is a three-year campaign. Uh, content marketing is a process designed to not achieve overnight success but give success over a longer period of time as well. Yep. You can look at the, the election cycles three years and think, oh, let's plan out this first year like this, second year like that, third year like that and have a really strategic approach to at the end of the day delivering what the government needs which is for them getting back into power. Mm. But do you think they are listening to that if they sat you know, what benefits would you be communicating to them by taking this longer-term strategic approach? That you don't need to fight the uh, you don't need to, you don't need to fight the uh, the issue in the papers every single day, and build your own channels to to win an audience over time, rather than trying to get the headline in the, in, the, in the paper every morning. Hmm. I totally agree with you. Obviously, so listen. Um, what, what are your other some of your other observations at the moment in terms of the skills that people need when they're coming into work in content marketing in government? When you're hiring people, which you do quite regularly, what are some of the attributes that you're looking for? Not only just technical, but what sort of personal characteristics are you looking for someone who can be successful as part of this team? Uh, you need someone who's curious. Uh, you need someone who's uh, a good listener. So it's a very, very good question at this moment in time as we're drawing up uh, a position for someone to run the content group content marketing program. And it, it's a big step for us because we haven't done that before. And one of the key lines as part of that that job description is that they need to be curious, they need to be a good listener, they need to be part of the team, but they uh, the, to achieve the, the best possible outcomes that they can in that role, uh, that they have to... They have to want to go beyond every day and, and ask the questions that will allow them to to uh, reach full potential as part of that job. Mm-hmm. And what other sort of technical skills are you looking for when you're you're speaking to someone? So that's that's more the personal qualities and characteristics. But what actual skills do they need to have to be really valuable? I think writing still remains number one in okay. my eyes. Uh, Why is if, that? Why do you say that? If if you can't write. In, to, to a suitable standard, then uh, I don't think you can probably make it in the comms game still. Uh, writing's a crucial part of whether you're putting out a graphic, whether you're, you're putting subtitles on a video, whether you're doing a blog, whether you're writing a tweet, a Facebook post, uh, a, larger piece of ri- a larger piece of writing, whether it be one page or 50 pages. Uh, if you don't get that critical bit of writing uh, at the start and have the, have the skill for writing, then I'm not sure you can make it in the industry. Okay. What about the technical skills, you know, the ability to manipulate um, data, to be able to create content, to be able to, you know, knock up an infographic, you know, understand Google Analytics? How important are those things? Uh, really pivotal. So when people start at Content Group, we obviously ha- have a job specifically set aside for them, but as part of the learning culture framework that we put in place, uh, learning the technical capacities of, of other areas of work that they maybe haven't done in the past is uh, is super critical. So we use a, a great platform called lynda.com, whereas where if maybe you're not as strong in Google Analytics or you're not as strong in graphic design, you can jump on and start learning the basics in that area uh, so that you can build up to a stage where you do become... Uh, a value contributor, a, a 
across that technical technical aspect. Okay. So once you've got the people in place and they've applied for the job and they've sat down, they're like, okay, Dave, tell me about content marketing and the methodology. How would you summarise the methodology and the various steps of the methodology? How long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, our methodology starts off with, uh, as we just talked about before, a, a fairly large research and discovery piece, which doesn't just take part as part of the workshops that we do, but also through the research that we conduct while we're, while we're trying to win the job. And what sort of things are you looking for in that research and discovery piece? Are you looking for, uh, I guess, international benchmarking is one that we've done in the past. So how have similar programs worked overseas or how have they worked in different states? Um, you want to look for past successes in communications. You want to look at things that maybe haven't worked. You want to understand how program, programs have been maybe constrained by by budget or by resourcing. Um, it's an endless list of things that you can you can go through to to eventually get to the piece where you think, okay, I've got my head around where this organisation or or our department is at is at and we can start moving into some of the other questions post-research post and discovery. Um, there's, no, there's no set time frame that you, you can put on a research and discovery piece, which is sometimes where we've struggled in the past. We've, we've set a time frame, but the more you uncover and the more questions you ask, uh, the more hurdles that you often have to, uh, to jump over. So that's something that we, we do learn on, on, on the run. And do you often find that, you know, the lack of specificity or the lack of understanding at a briefing point, even where there's not even a written brief, that people say verbally, can you do this? And then you start sort of trying to unpick it, it is where you get caught sometimes? Definitely. And I think one of the, one of the, the tricky things uh, that we have to go through as a, as a professional side of things is, is doing tenders, uh, uh, writing proposals and restricting, it, restricting a job to something you've seen on, on four or five pages of writing and trying to respond to that. It, it, it often goes far beyond what, what that organisation or, or department has initially wanted. And how do you manage that sort of scope creep? So all of a sudden they, they're expecting a lot more for what you can actually deliver within the envelope of funding. I think you have to stick to your processes and make sure that you have continual conversation with the client and, uh, and discuss what, po what, what possibilities there are post that bit of work to maybe fix some of the other problems that, that sit within uh, that area of business. Okay, so once you've done your research and discovery, you've opened every box that you possibly can, you've spoken to as many people as possible, you've got all the variables laid out there, what happens next? Uh, do a big piece with uh, the audience. So the, the, the key step, the, the key next step is really understanding who the audience is. Um, we go through a process with personas. Yep. Uh, personas can range from maybe two or three or four people for a project up to uh, up to countless 10, 15, 20 personas. Uh, it's good to try and try and reduce that amount as much as possible, but you really want to try and get inside their heads and understand the audience that we're trying to communicate with and and the processes that that particular audience likes going through to, to get their information. Okay. And then from there, it's time for setting the objectives and how do you go about setting those objectives? 
Well, you get a lot of the objectives outside of the the research and discovery that you've done. So you, you really have to understand what the organisation or the department is looking to achieve um, and then deciding the ways that you can achieve those objectives uh, through the communication uh, methods that you're setting up. How important is it that those objectives be measurable? Critical. Like if, 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 you, if you want to do a project and you you don't set objectives that are that are smart um, then you're ultimately not going to achieve any success and be able to you won't be able to look at the project in 12 months time and say I achieved success because there's nothing to, to rank it on okay so you've got your research and discovery you've got your audience you've got your objectives what's next time to make some decisions about uh, the type of content that you're going to produce in order to uh, in order to influence uh, to reach and engage with uh, the audiences that you define. So whether that be audio, whether it be video, whether it be stills, graphics or text, you need to uh, spend a considerable amount of time working out uh, what type of content you are going to produce for them. And then there's the distribution piece, um, the, the channels. What channels are you going to use? Uh, channels, well, the, the one that we we prefer for the majority of our projects is running everything through the centre of gravity, which is the website. Our websites are becoming more and more important, I think, for, for, for not just for private sector organisations, but also for, for government departments and getting the website right to, to actually move away from uh, the, the regulation side of government to telling a story in an effective manner that, that audiences will actually engage with. Uh, so using the website as the primary platform, but then then looking at how you can do it through through online, through, through offline, and through third-party distribution as well. Okay, we'll come to some of those in, in, in a minute, but in terms of, you know, distributed content and the, on, you know, the growing popularity of uh, platforms like... Facebook, um, like uh, Snapchat, like w- all the places where those audiences that you're looking to engage, this is where they prefer to spend their time. Isn't it more important to get the content into those channels as opposed to your own website? Uh, it is in some way, but also you've got to remember that Facebook owns Facebook. So uh, you don't want to be investing all of your resources into into a platform that you don't own. So... It's great to be able to distribute it over Facebook or through Twitter or across Instagram or any of the the thousands of channels that are out there. But unless you house it on your website, then someone else could, not that Facebook is going to shut down tomorrow, but if Facebook decides that they're going to shut down tomorrow, then you lose everything. In terms of that telling a story, telling an emotional story that will connect with people, you know, that notion that emotion drives action and facts drive, you know, validation, how hard is it to convince your government clients that you've got to tell a story that's compelling, that's really going to reach into the hearts and minds of, of the audience and get them to actually take the action that you, you're hoping that they will? It's very tricky because you have to manage our ministerial risk and also the large range of protocols and policies that are in place f- for every bit of communication that does go out through, through government departments. Mm. But... It, it, but bad content is bad content, isn't it? And it's not going to get the outcome that, that you're looking for. So what are some of the hacks that you've got in place to try to get people to understand that you've got to, you know, take a few risks to, to get a few outcomes? Well, I think, I think the, the, longer, the longer that you, 
you you get to know a particular client, the more they trust you, the more that they'll be able to sit down with you and and you'll be able to convince them that, oh, maybe we can go a bit beyond where we've been before. Look, that bit of content that we put out there wasn't really in line with, with something that you've done before, but look, it's uh, it's been read by 2,000 people. It's been shared 50 times. People are really communicating with, with the story that you're telling over there instead of just pushing out a white paper or pushing out... Uh, so maybe policy, which isn't that exciting to to the everyday reader. Yeah. So I think I think that will change. And as you say, it's, it's a good point that if you can build confidence with people over time and they can see that the sky didn't fall in and that there is building an audience, there is building some engagement over time, that they um, will tend to do that. Now, third, I'm really interested also in third-party channels. You mentioned those there in terms of distribution. How important is it that you work with people who've also got your audience so that you can get that story out to them through multiple channels, not just relying on your centre of gravity but being able to get it out to lots of people? It's it's really important because um, I guess... If, if you look at it from a from an overarching perspective, there's no way that you can you can possibly engage with every single one of your audience just through your channel. So, uh, the importance of relationships is to is to work out where people can take your video or they can take the blog that you've written, so that you can actually uh, actually reach more than more than the maybe a thousand people or two thousand people that might you might engage with over your channel. So. Uh, building those relationships at the start of each of the projects, looking at where or which different stakeholders would like to be part of your, your communication platform is, is really important. And then assembling it all into, you know, the offline channels, online channels, timing, et cetera, into a calendar. How important is it that you have a calendar in place so that people can understand what's coming? Calendar is really important because I guess if you look at the public sector and the government work that we do, uh, you look at the fact that everything does have to be approved. So if you get it approved at the start of the month, that's really important. But it also shows um, shows in the, the, the amount of work that has to be done to communicate a particular subject over a month, um, but also that, also that the consistency is something that will start to deliver results uh, the further you go down the track. And what about those results and the measurement of those results? How... How efficient and effective uh, are you at the moment in terms of using those results to understand the progress you're making, but not only using the results to understand the progress, but using those results to in fact improve and iterate on those communication plans that you're putting forward? I've got a great team who who spend a lot of time at the end of each month analysing what results have been achieved, what's worked, what hasn't worked. And I think a good example of that, of that was for a client last month where we've been trialling uh, the use of Twitter for that particular project over the course of the last six to nine months. It hasn't been an effective channel, whereas Facebook has been a really effective channel. So we made the decision to to deactivate Twitter and put more resources into Facebook instead of just continually pushing out content on a platform that wasn't performing. So without putting in a, an effective measurement and an, out, an evaluation framework, uh, we probably wouldn't get that insight and we would be wasting resources for something that wouldn't, at the end of the day, achieve a good business outcome. Okay, so that's the end of the story really in terms of, of the methodology. But where, where to now? Where do you think things are going to to be happening for um, content marketing in government and, and the public sector? I suppose alluding or drawing off your earlier answer that things change rapidly and, and continuously. 
Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, during the current election. Uh, I think that in will Australia? be in, in Australia. Yep. Uh, I think uh, the, the current government is uh, is doing a good job in that space. Uh, we've got a currently prime minister, as we're as we're podcasting here, um, <laughs> who believes in communication and believes in uh, believes in what needs to happen in relation to communications and maybe even content marketing. I think once you, once you start seeing success. Um, a couple of content marketing projects within government, once you start seeing success in that area, more departments will start picking that up and beginning to run with it. There's a, there's a great case study which I know that you've talked on on this podcast before with the UK government. Once once one one department in government in Australia is able to, to, uh, to copy that case study and get a good result, I think you'll see a really quick transgression from where we currently are to, to the future. Okay. All right, Dave. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much for the 10 years. Thanks very much for your insights. Uh, Thanks for your efforts, your energy. One of the things you're really good at is the people side of things and the relationships. And really, at the end of the day, it's a people business, isn't it? Communication is a people business. I think life's a people business as well. So the more people you know and and, and can socialise with and get along with, uh, the better you'll be at the end of the day. And, and really that, that human piece needs to be retained in, that, um, in your content marketing, doesn't it? You know, because ultimately at the end of the day, we're hoping that people are going to take some sort of action or behave in a particular way and the only way you do that is to be sort of intensely human. Yeah, you want to relate with the people who are, who are out there on the street and you want to communicate with them in a in an effective way. Do you feel like we're only at the very, very beginning of this as it relates to government and public sector communication? Uh, we're in the very, very formative steps of it. So there's a, there's a lot more water to go under the bridge there and I think... Uh, There'll be many more successful years ahead of us. Okay, and a lot more people to interview on the In Transition podcast. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. There you go, audience. Dave Polglaze, the head of consulting here at Content Group, who's done a fantastic job for us over the last 10 years. So thanks very much uh, for your time again this week. We will be back again at the same time next week with another guest as we explore the fascinating world of content marketing in government and the public sector. Bye for now. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.